Treathouse Podcast, where we gather at the table to hear each other's stories. I'm your host, Angie Smith, and I am so glad that you're here. Please pull up a chair and join us. Welcome to the Retreat House Table. At the table today, I have my friend Jenny Vang with me. I met Jenny last fall at a women's conference that was just such an amazing experience. And I really loved getting to know Jenny and hearing about her heart and the way that God is using her. And then since then, watching the places he's taking her and the way he's using her. And uh, I just knew right away that I wanted to have her on in this series. So today's topic is going to be what should I know about Hmong culture? So welcome to the show, Jenny. Thanks so much. So excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you. Yeah. So let's just dive right in. Mm -hmm. And so when I ask you the question, what should I know about Hmong culture? Mm -hmm. What are the things that come to your mind? So I knew this question was coming, and Mm -hmm. I kept thinking, I have lived my whole life as Hmong. The idea of giving a a Hmong 101 seemed Mm -hmm. nearly impossible. Um, (laughs) So in some senses, I'm giving more of like a Hmong 10. But I mean, just a quick, really quick history lesson is that Mm -hmm. the Hmong people originate, um, and I'm talking like thousands of years ago, Mm -hmm. in southern China. There are there's still kind of a sect of Hmong people called the Miao people, so that's spelled M I A O, okay. in southern China. Uh, but the Hmong, Hmong people, as we know them today in America, currently reside in in Laos. That's kind of where that's where my parents were born. Okay. Uh, most of the people in my parents' generation were born there. But Hmong doesn't necessarily isn't a place, right? Right. It's there's a there's people not people group. Yes, it's a people group. So we okay. don't have our own country. Um, And part of the reason why uh, Hmong people went into Laos, they were a very agrarian culture and society. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of what they desired was just peace. Um, And so that's why they, I wouldn't say fled, but they moved into um, kind of the the jungles and the hills of Laos where there was a lot of land to do farming and just to live peacefully. And so that's, so that's kind of how they, or that is how they um, entered into Laos and then um, how they came to the U.S. was um, during the Vietnam War. There's like so much history here and it's like unbelievable. And so for you and for listeners, I want to encourage you to just uh, there are some his- there, there are some resources that I can um, if you're listening, I can uh, give to Angie yeah. to, to put them in the show notes, the, to put them in the show notes. Mm-hmm. But I want to encourage you to, to really seek out just learning mm-hmm. um, and because I'm just I'm just one person, right. I'm one person's experience, and just as we shouldn't, you know, uh, make blanket statements about any people group based on one person's right. experience, I want to say the same thing here: is that there are um, so many different perspectives of the Hmong history, and it's all by experience. Mm-hmm. And so, kind of back to this history lesson: um, during the Vietnam War, it was a 1954 Geneva Conference, and all these countries come together to talk about uh, the, the Communist Party. So the northern and southern armies of Vietnam were in, in conflict. And so the northern army, um, the Communist Party, Pathet Lao, invaded Laos. And okay. the Geneva Conference was a place where they said Laos is neutral territory. No one can enter in. And the U.S. had allied with Thailand and southern Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 there was this agreement that, that Laos would not be touched. But the path that Lao entered anyway. And so out of protection, the USCIA partnered with the Hmong people because okay. they were in the jungles. The path that Lao were in the jungles. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. soldiers didn't know their way around. And so they really, they recruited the Hmong people as um, a kind of a second army. And that, those are some of the stories I've heard is the, the men 
Mm-hmm. They're probably women too. But the stories I've heard are the men that served with the United States yes. and partnered with them mm-hmm. that were really heroes mm-hmm. of that conflict. Yeah. Yep. And um, it, there was kind of an agreement that in exchange, um, the Hmong people would be granted amnesty into the U.S. Okay. Um, and so there's a, a really big history lesson. There's a lot of pain and brokenness that exists there. But ultimately, I think one of the things rising out of this that I would love for people to know about the Hmong people is just how resilient we are. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think about us in the, the scope of history um, in America today, um, I think about my parents and my parents' mm-hmm. generation and grandparents who, you know, they came here not knowing how to, there's no plumbing system in Laos or uh, uh, electricity and, you know, just, just need like no paved roads. Mm-hmm. And I think about the, how much culture shock yeah, or like yeah. just lifestyle right shock. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you so said that, your parents were born yes, in Laos? Yes. My okay. parents were born in Laos and they came over uh, in the late 70s. Okay. And I'm the youngest of nine kids. Wow. Yeah. So we're kind of right after one after the other. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of another thing to know about Hmong people is, is we're just really family oriented. Anyone can tell you who has been to a, a, like a family event in my house. Mm-hmm. We are like loud, crazy, fun people. <laughs> uh, we eat a lot of good food. Mm-hmm. We, you know, it's just, it's just there's a very, um, I, I would say personally, even as a Christian, there's a very like holy um, set apartness. Mm-hmm. Um, that I experience when I'm in a Hmong setting, mm-hmm. specifically with my family, because obviously they're my family, so it's fun. Right. right. Um, but I, I remember in high school growing up and even in college saying things like, well, the Hmong culture is really family oriented. And um, some of my white, white culture majority friends would say, well, isn't aren't all like cultures like that? And I would say, well, yes, but and I never really knew how to explain it mm-hmm. as to why. Why, why it is different. Because for me, I grew up very much so Hmong, but grew up very much so American. Mm-hmm. There's so many like different pieces to learn about who we are, like our history, mm-hmm. and then who we are now and where we're thriving and maybe where we're still struggling, just like any other humans. Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> you know? right, right. People. Yeah, yeah like people. Create, all people created in God's image. Right. Exactly. Yep. Um, and then I, I would say lastly, one of the things to know about us too is that so the word Hmong actually means to be free. Oh, that's in that's, yeah. that's a beautiful thing. I did Isn't not that beautiful? know that. That yeah. is beautiful. Yeah, and it's funny because there was this play that was done. I think I was in elementary school, and the high school in my hometown did it. And that's one of the first things in the play that they'd say is Hmong means to be free. I remember thinking about that, you know, as like a fifth grader, not really understanding it. Mm-hmm. But now being a Christ follower, you know, Jesus is the center of my life mm-hmm. and he leads my life. My understanding of freedom in Christ is is heightened by the fact that I'm Hmong, which means to be free. And I mean, I could say so many things there too, but um, there's kind of a, just this like deep rooted uh, desire for freedom. Not like I'm going to go do whatever I want and rebel, but freedom as like... Well, you talked about that a little bit in the history where the Hmong people were moving from southern China into Laos mm-hmm. seeking... Just a peaceful yeah. existence uh-huh. and moving into the jungle. So I can see that almost freedom from conflict and yeah. mm-hmm. just wanting that kind of like peace. Peace and goodness and mm-hmm. like embracing just not as not escaping hardship because we obviously know hardship exists, but it's more just it's very deep and ingrained into at least this is my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, just that we desire goodness and we desire peace and wholeness. And a lot of that is found within the family life and culture. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You're, I love what you said about 
the caution to listen to this podcast and think, oh, I know Hmong culture because mm. I listened to a podcast with one person's mm-hmm. story in it, which which I think is such a good caution. And I'm just sitting here thinking, uh, I mean, I, I'm doing it to step toward yes. understanding and, and I to understand, that. understand, but I love but I think I would have been guilty of that. So I appreciate your caution of don't think that you've met, you know, like it's mastered, mm-hmm. continue to seek. And so you were talking about, you know, growing up equal parts or being fully Hmong mm-hmm. and American. Yeah. What was that? And then also just being a first generation born here. Mm-hmm. I mean, what was your experience like growing up in the Midwest? Mm-hmm. And when I think of the Midwest, I think of, you know, dominant white culture and I guess just trying to acknowledge that you're growing up in in a culture that sounds like I mean even for when your parents came here that the Mm -hmm. life shock the lifestyle shock the culture shock yeah yeah. and to then live in the tension of to live in in both both. yep and you know some people who are younger usually adapt more easily Mm -hmm. to to things and how do you kind of have a foot in both worlds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's really weird because up until, it it really wasn't until the last like four or five years that I really started to think about um, what does it mean to steward my ethnic identity? Mm. And a big part of that was understanding, okay, what is my ethnic identity in general? Um, It's like, well, yes, I'm Hmong. Yes, I'm an American. Um, But what does that mean for my calling as a Christian? Mm -hmm. What does God uh, call me to do? Uh, in that. And I think the, uh, one of the main things I realized was that just as God calls me to steward my time and my money and whatever else, relationships, Mm -hmm. God also calls me just to steward my life. And a part of that is if anything can be used for the kingdom, it must be stewarded Mm -hmm. because it belongs to God. Um, And and if my identity as a Christian uh, is the foundation of how I pursue my understanding of how to steward my ethnic identity, then it then I can do it with a sense of like, okay, what does this mean day-to-day life? Not just this like over-spiritualized version of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so to have a foot in both Hmong and American culture for me is not one foot or the other. It's, it's, it's kind of a new path. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'll be honest and say it's been hard a lot, a lot of the times because, you know, I can be a part of any Hmong event and feel totally comfortable and normal. And then there are little things that are that are said or done maybe by older generations that I'm like, oh, I, I, I don't really understand that or that's new to me or maybe I don't fully agree with it. Um, and then vice versa. I could be in majority uh, white culture or just American culture in general and mm-hmm. feel totally comfortable um, and yet be very aware of the fact that I am still Hmong. Um, and it was never like a, oh, I'm still Hmong, like mm-hmm. uh, like it was a burden. It was more just, I am very aware of how I grew up differently. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my other friends who have kind of been pursuing this idea of how do you steward your ethnic identity, we asked the question of how do you turn um, your ethnicity in, from a burden into a blessing? And so I would say I'm very much so fresh still on that journey. Mm-hmm. And um, what I've come to realize is that I, I, if I have to frame it through uh, the eyes of the kingdom, mm-hmm. um, you know, that every na- one day every nation, tribe, and tongue will uh, bow down before Jesus. And right. I have been entrusted with two of those. Mm-hmm. I get to be entrusted with both Hmong and American. And, and I, I just think 
you know, there's a sense of like, well, that seems really intense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I can't do, yeah. I can't do it all. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's just like, God, thank you that you have well, there's a given ri- me. Yeah, there's a richness mm-hmm. of, I mean, I'm, I would assume that you learn more about each culture. Mm-hmm. Like when you, when you have anything and they're sitting next to each other, yeah. you notice yeah. what's similar, you notice what's different. Mm-hmm. And the tech you notice the texture like both become yes. more textured uh-huh. yeah and yep. and richer and deeper mm-hmm. and one of the this is a, the one of the clearest ways that i can see this in my life and this seems like a really silly example but there's actually a lot of depth in it mm-hmm. is that at thanksgiving you know we have like the turkey and mashed potatoes and green bean casserole and all of that mm-hmm. but we also have a ton of monk food we have sometimes we have egg rolls and curry and mm-hmm. stir fry and all of these things that you could think of so it is just this giant feast mm-hmm. so you just eat all day mm-hmm. laugh all day and it takes you forever to clean up because mm-hmm. you just keep eating and eating until it's <laughs> right, all gone right. and you invite like every person possible you've ever known in your life mm-hmm. over and you just share like life together mm-hmm. and I, I feel like that is just a, a distinct picture to me of what it means to take in both cultures that I live in mm-hmm. honoring both mm-hmm. and the, the reality here is that I, I in some ways I feel a lot a higher calling, maybe not higher calling, a deeper calling mm-hmm. uh, just to my Hmong identity because, you know, I, I just really have come to understand and believe, you know, the verse honor your father father and mother is not obey your mother and father. Mm-hmm. It is uh, a sense of oh, what does it really mean to honor your parents? And part of honoring my parents is letting them in on my life, still pursuing what it looks like to be Hmong, knowing mm-hmm. the language, reading my Bible in Hmong. Mm-hmm. It takes me a long time, but <laughs> I do it because I, I remember like I have been given the mind and the tongue to be able to just know this language. Mm-hmm. God, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And like this, being able to have a voice on this podcast, mm-hmm. that this is a part of stewarding my ethnic identity. And so really you're opening up a door and opportunity for me to just live into that calling more and more. But there's a lot of tension too. There's tension because... It's not always easy. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to ask the questions of, okay, I can, on paper, and, you know, this this is entering a little bit more into the conversation of race and rec- racial reconciliation, but I think the hard parts of it is that I can be very confident on the surface and even in my heart be confident in mm-hmm. whether it's, like, applying for a job or sitting in on a meeting with, like, all men or something. But mm-hmm. in, in, in my life, I, I have to, I'm always faced with the question, oh, do they think that... I'm weird or like I shouldn't be here because I'm a woman or because I'm Hmong or what is it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that is a burden that I carry. Um, like another voice that's trying to be heard. Yeah. And it's not that I victimize myself because mm-hmm. I, no, no, no. I think victim mentality is just really unproductive. And, you know, I think I, mm-hmm. I validate that where sometimes I do feel that in some ways, whether it's imposed on whether I do it to myself mm-hmm. or I'd really actually feel it from someone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, I think that's relatable on a lot of levels. I mm-hmm. mean, just being a woman, yes, I, I get uh-huh. that. Yeah, and, totally. you know, having insecurities, uh-huh. I, I totally get that. Yeah. Uh, for, you know, it not being a victim, mm-hmm. but having those, you know, double second guessing yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, oh, or, or the situation. Yeah. Yeah. And so overall, I would say that I think where it is hard is, is just the reality that that, that I, I f- often feel like I have to think really hard, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. in certain situations. And, and sometimes I, I'm just an overthinker. I'm like, I'm like almost 100 percent F on the on the Myers-Briggs. Like I'm such a feeler that it's really hard for me to just uh, let things go in the moment. I overanalyze. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I, I think I've I've come to consider that a gift in this area of like, what does it mean to be Hmong? Mm-hmm. Um, I want to feel it deeply. You know, mm-hmm. I want to feel it deeply. And 
Um, as I walk with Jesus, I recognize how he allows me to feel it deeply. Like if I hear a worship song that I know in English and then I hear it in Hmong, mm-hmm. I, I'm just like a weepy mess. There's just something mm-hmm. about hearing it in uh, it, it's what is called your heart language. Right. Um, so it's like my heart language is both English and Hmong. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, on the journey and path of learning what does it mean to let both of those be true, that both are heart languages. Yeah. You talked, you mentioned that you're in seminary, mm-hmm. and then we've talked about that you're a woman and yeah. you're Hmong and you're in seminary. Yeah. Which are, <laughs> you know, are, I have an easy life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is that, I mean, what is that yeah. like for you? Uh-huh. I mean, it just as a, as a woman being mm-hmm. in seminary would right. be, it can be difficult. Yeah. Could yeah. be difficult. I haven't been to seminary. Yeah. Um, you know, it's I have an interesting experience because I also work there. Mm-hmm. I'm a full-time employee uh, and also a full-time student. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> You are busy. I know. Sometimes I'm like, how do I do life? <clears throat> mm-hmm. I've had the privilege of being able to sit under professors as professors, but also as colleagues. Mm. I've been able to do life with students as a student and also as an employee. Okay. And so I, I almost feel like it's almost too good to be true that I have the experience that I have at mm-hmm. seminary. Mm-hmm. And actually at Bethel, both in the seminary, just like overall at Bethel University and, and all of our schools, Hmong is the number one uh, minority. Oh. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yep. I didn't know that till a year ago. Um, so that's really fun. But I think as, as to how I experienced that as a seminary student, as a woman, an ethnic minority student, I often feel like... I my like radar for <laughs> wanting to enter into these kinds of conversations is heightened. Okay. Um, because Bethel is a place where there's not a specific kind of theology that we expect students to to um, take on. Mm-hmm. Um, professors have the freedom to say this. Here's my stance on this, but it's a very ecum- ecumenical place. People mm-hmm. come from different stages of life, different denominations conservative, liberal, all of these things you could think of. Mm-hmm. I love it because I'm always learning from people who have different like convictions than me. Mm-hmm. And and it really, for me, is finding the balance of like, okay, this man or maybe even woman may not believe that women should preach, um, but that doesn't negate the fact that I still call them brother or sister in Christ mm-hmm. and that I can learn from them. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's mm-hmm. like I would never want them to negate my own, ex- my own like knowledge and wisdom because I want to preach someday. Right. And so... I'm just someone who sometimes I feel like, am I naive for like not being more like <laughs> mad about things? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'm just someone who I certainly have strong opinions about some things, mm-hmm. but sometimes I just have to keep those in my head because because it's me for me. It's picking and uh, kind of picking where I'm, I'm going to step in and have the hard conversations in this area. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether it's like it's very clear sometimes like, wow. It's not even just clear. It's obvious. Like, mm-hmm. I'm the only woman in some of my cl- – in, like, last semester, I was the only woman in, in my theology class. Mm-hmm. And there were some times where I'm like, well, yep, it's just me. <laughs> like, they're off talking about sports, which is fine. I'm not, like, saying there's anything wrong with that. It's just Mm-mm. more – it's more just, okay, I'm sitting here by myself as a woman. They're talking about football stats. And I love football. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, like, every player or, like, you know, whatever. So it's just kind of like, how do you, as you feel isolated, mm-hmm. um, how do you bring yourself back in? Right. And because I, I could victimize myself. I could. Or I could step in and say, hey, what are you guys talking about? Right, you know? right. Like, join the conversation. Join the conversation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, I'm I'm one person. I'm one experience. I'm just someone who I, I just really believe in believing the best in people. Mm-hmm. Not in, like, a naive way. I mm-hmm. think you. I ask questions. I 
speak boldly and say like I disagree with you but that's mm-hmm. fine and well I think getting back to that and what we talked about a little bit before about recognizing that we're all created in God's image mm-hmm. we're all human beings we're all just trying to live this life that's been given to us and yeah. follow where God is leading us mm-hmm. yeah so yeah. it's good to I think that's a good I don't think that's naive I think that's yeah. I think that's a loving way to look at people. Yeah, it's funny. The other day, I was telling someone because you know, as I pursue more and more of wanting to to preach and be a pastor someday, I I've had this like I'm like battling within myself. Like it feels like no one wants the like optimistic, glass half full, like dreamer <laughs> person. Everyone wants the like structured. You know, here's here's the steps that you can take to to make this happen, mm. and and that those are good things. But it's just not my forte. It's mm-hmm. not my strength. But at the end mm-hmm. end of, end of the day, for me, it's still w- wanting to see the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. And I understand that there are things that you know get in the way and think. You know, there's like veils that essentially we have to tear for people to be able to see. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, scales, 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 yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's a better analogy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's actually in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's just like it's hard because as far as, you know, being the optimistic glass half full dreamer, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know that those people are needed. Mm-hmm. But it's easy for me as, you know, I'm 28 year old, single, Asian American, Hmong, Christian woman, mm-hmm. you know. Right. <laughs> so, so, so I'm kind of like, I don't even have a husband to like fall back on. And in the, I mean, see, even like saying fall back on sounds mm-hmm. as if like I, I need that. Right. There's kind of these like pressures that come mm-hmm. from Christian culture, from American culture, from Hmong culture, mm-hmm. saying you should be these things. And I'm like, you know what? I just, I know that I'm confident. I can confidently be the dreamer. Mm-hmm. And having conversations like this mm-hmm. allows me to do that. Well, and I think as someone who is married, <laughs> that, well, Paul talks about it. You know, you, all of a sudden things are divided in your life because mm-hmm. there's another person to consider yeah and i don't i got married i am married i will be married and we will be married yeah until we die uh-huh. so it is what it is yeah and i'm glad i did it <laughs> but there is a you know when god calls there's okay well now i need to check with this other person because i can't just go mm-hmm. where god is calling yeah. so there's a lot of freedom that you have to mm-hmm. follow the dreams that god's putting in your heart yeah yeah and it's really interesting in this area of, you know, we're, we're talking about what what should, what should you know or what should people know about the Hmong culture and the Hmong mm-hmm. people. I'm kind of like, okay, what what do I need to know about certain things or people? Mm-hmm. And it's because it's very easy as an ethnic minority to think, oh, it's all the majority people who have to learn. Mm. I'm like, no, 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 no. I am I'm the majority somewhere. I'm a, I'm the majority as. Like right now, we're the majority. It's two women in a room. You know, right. if a man walked in, we'd be the majority, <laughs> right. you know. So, you know, as far as minority, majority, dominant, whatever, like that's always fluid. That's changing. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's kind of where am I going to ground myself when I do really feel like the minority mm-hmm. in whatever capacity that even means. And for me, it's Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like such like a, you know, Christian girl thing to say. Half glass full. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like such a like a Christian girl thing to say, but mm-hmm. it's so real. And and I think I would say the the one word that I would use to describe my like life journey from like birth until now, but specifically in my Christian journey is identity. Mm-hmm. And I was always kind of tossed between these two and mm-hmm. felt like I needed to choose one or the other. And even today, sometimes I feel that way. But when I 
stop, it's kind of like, well, it's not that I'm choosing between one or the other. It's more as I balance these two, as I learn what it looks like to to fully live into both of these things, mm-hmm. how do I do that through the lens of my identity in Christ? Right. Um, created in God's image, mm-hmm. you know, Imago Dei. Mm-hmm. And um, how do I do Preach. that? Preach! Yeah. <laughs> how do I do that with integrity mm-hmm. um, and, and bring people alongside me and say, you're also creating God, God's image. I don't care if you're white, black, Asian, whatever. You're mm-hmm. creating God's image. And that's the beautiful thing about Imago Dei mm-hmm. is that skin color and ethnicity, ethnos and nationality, all these things. The, the number one thing that makes us creating God's image is actually none of those things. Mm-hmm. But because we are those things, it matters. It matters. You know, mm-hmm. it's like the Israelites. And, you know, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But I, I like <laughs> I, I like the Israelites, they were they were known as God's chosen people. Mm-hmm. But they weren't chosen because they were Israelites. No. You know, they, they were the chosen people like God. They were the chosen people because God said they were. Right. And so the fact that they were Israelites mattered. Mm hmm. Um, and the same now, same thing now in the new covenant is that because of what Christ has done, because of Jesus making it possible, you know, Jesus died on the cross, not just because it's like something that that's not just something we say. It's, right. It happened. It's real. Mm-hmm. And so if Jesus died a real death and was raised again on the third day and a real resurrection mm-hmm. and really ascended into heaven and is living and is living in I-N-G. us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And is living in us and his spirit lives in us. Mm-hmm. Then. Everything that we do with the spirit in us matters. Right. Including how we um, talk about things like this. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm, I, I'm, I'm just sitting here thinking like, does this seem like totally off topic of like the podcast? No. But in reality, everything, I, I, I say this thing in my head sometimes where like, I just think everything is an Imago Day issue. Mm. And what I mean by that is the way that we view other people, regardless, whether it's like by personality or you know, a certain kind of demographic, if we are speaking um, slander or gossip or whatever it is uh, against someone, to me, that's, I'm speaking against Imago Day, mm. and I need to be careful, you know, because there's a difference between like speaking truth and, ex- and ex- exhortation mm-hmm. like, that is needed. But I think the reason why I'm so like glass half full, like dreamer mm-hmm. is because I want to see Imago I want to see people experience Imago Day in themselves mm-hmm. I want pe- I want people to be so like enthralled and like th- just to see Imago Day in themselves that they might call it out in other people mm-hmm. to image God to other people mm-hmm. and part of me pursuing stewarding my ethnic identity is because I see Imago Day in myself both as a Hmong woman and as an American woman mm-hmm. um, and it looks very different in the different contexts that I'm in and when I, it looks different in when I'm with just a Hmong group of people uh, and when I'm in a majority culture, in my own experience, it's just like stewardship is stewardship because, it, I mean, like I, I, none of it belongs to me, you know, mm-hmm. none of it belongs to me. Mm-hmm. Like it is my identity, but it's not mine. But I, I appreciate the way that you're willing to, sh- to, to share your identity and to share your story. Like the conference that we met at mm-hmm. last fall yeah. was a beautiful gathering of women from all over the country and every shade, mm-hmm. which is which was one of my favorite yeah. things yep. about it. And as I was going into it, I thought, I I need to listen. I need to go mm. in with an with a, a posture of listening 
and wanting to listen and to hear and not go in with something to say. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yep. And it was such a beautiful experience. And I felt like, and and I've had this with other friends too. It was like thinking about God as a statue and I'm standing on one side of the statue and you know, everyone else is start standing around the statue. Mm-hmm. And as people talk about their relationship with God in their places mm-hmm. that they're living, in their different ethnic identities, if that's part of their story, you know, mm-hmm. different from my ethnic identity. Yeah. As they talk about how they're experiencing God in their places, I get a fuller picture of that statue where otherwise it's just two dimensional and yeah. I'm only seeing yep. it on one one side. Mm-hmm. And so I just appreciated the I can't tell you how much I appreciate that you're here. Um, I love that I'm here. Because I think it's just so important to have these conversations. So you talked a little bit about trying to marry your ethnic identities Mm -hmm. because of this call that God has on your life to preach and teach and be a pastor. Mm -hmm. So what does that, I guess I... I'm kind of like, what is he calling you to? Yeah. <laughs> I guess is what I'm really wanting to know. Yeah, you know, I'm actually really trying to figure that out now. I, and I keep telling people, and I guess I kind of been saying this for the last year. In some ways, I feel like I'm a senior in college. Mm. Like, what do I do with my life? Mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm doing. There's so many things to do. There's like so many opportunities. and mm-hmm. um, But ultimately, I, I really feel like God is calling me to be a peacemaker, mm. to be a bridge. And I don't even, Angie, I don't know what that looks like. Mm-hmm. I, in some ways, I really do feel like a kid. I don't know. Like, I have four years of experience at Bethel, four-ish. I have two years, two or three years of experience after, you know, in, in a ministry. Mm-hmm. Like, in, in a parachurch ministry, and that's it. So sometimes I'm like, oh, wait, do I actually know anything? Well, what I love is that how God will take all of those seemingly random experiences and tools that mm-hmm. we've been given and then we get put into a position where, oh my goodness, you know, I I can do this because of all these random things mm-hmm. that I've done before. And so all of those things matter. I think I heard um, Steph O'Brien talk about that on the Lead Stories podcast, mm-hmm. where she talked about being an RD. She learned how to take care of toilets. Yeah. Well, now she's a lead pastor. Right. And they have an office yeah. and, or being a landlord. <laughs> like she needed to know how to yeah. clean or fix toilets or right. whatever. Yeah. Like yep. even down to that level, like it, all that experience yeah. mattered. Yeah. It does, and yeah. it's probably not very comforting to you, but I'm almost 44 and I still feel like that sometimes. No, like, it is comforting. <laughs> like, Lord, what am I, what are you, I mean, really only in the last couple of years do I feel really like, okay, Lord, I'm starting to get a grasp on mm-hmm. Yeah. And where it is. Yeah. And I guess I'm willing to step into it, which mm-hmm. is a big thing, which is what I appreciate about the passion and the just, <laughs> I'm going to grab it and like, hang on. Like, you're just like grabbing onto the Lord and going, okay, Lord, like, I'm ready. Like, I'm ready to go wherever you lead me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I love that. <laughs> love that. Yeah. I, some days I'm just kind of like, nope, I'm going to retreat. See you later, Lord. <laughs> like, I'm going to stay in my bubble. I'm going to be mm-hmm. comfortable. Um, but what I wanted to say earlier too, is that like being called to be a peacemaker, like peacemakers go into conflict Mm -hmm. and it's, it's not that I'm looking for conflict, (laughs) but it's, it's that I feel comfortable in it to an extent. Don't come to me looking for conflict. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. I I don't like conflict. So I usually am running from it. (laughs) It, You know, depending on the context, Mm -hmm. I, 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 I can sit there and I can, I can deal with it. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but you, you know, as I think back to this idea of the Hmong people being, you know, Hmong means to be free and wanting peace and mm-hmm. wanting um, wholeness. I mean, that's you know, it's shalom, mm-hmm. and and I just feel like I mean, so like shalom is not just like peace on earth. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is, but shalom is this idea of all things being made right again. Mm-hmm. I mean, German, who is a um, is part of the network of you know like God at Work, Make to Flourish Network. She, I went to a seminar of hers once, and she said, um, Jesus said, "I am making all things new, not I am making all new things." Mm. And I love that. And I did an audible like yes when mm-hmm. I was when I heard that <laughs> um, because I just feel like that's what God is calling all of us to mm-hmm. um, is to be a part of bringing goodness into the places where it isn't mm-hmm. and reconciling. The things that have that are not reconciled mm-hmm. and so for me i just experienced it in a very unique way <laughs> so then how would you you know thinking about reconciliation and we've talked a little bit about entering into spaces like that being you know we've talked about being teachable mm-hmm. we've talked about listening are there other i guess it's advice but mm-hmm. or suggestions that you would have for people who want to enter into those kind of conversations? Mm-hmm. Like what kind of attitude mm-hmm. you yeah. need to sit down into that? Yeah. You know, as far as teachability goes, <laughs> it's really hard because <laughs> it, it's, it's really about creating a dialogue. Mm-hmm. And dialogue begins with questions, uh, but the right questions. Right. Like I was once asked by someone, so it was, it was, <laughs> it doesn't matter where it was, but I was sitting in a room with some people and it was, we were kind of doing some introductions and it was me and um, there was another, uh, a younger man, probably like mid thirties, he's Laotian and we're going around talking about that. And so he had said that he's Laotian. I said that I'm Hmong. And what she asked me was, so this is why I'm talking about the right kind of question. Mm -hmm. Um, What she meant to ask me was, um, so what languages do you speak or what ethnicities are you? And the way that it came out was, so why do you speak different languages then? Like, talking to both of us. Mm. And I was like, uh, okay, how do I answer this? Because we're not the same. Because we're not the same. Mm-hmm. So on one hand, that, that for me, it was like, Jenny, be teachable in this moment. Like, she doesn't know. And mm-hmm. so the dialogue for me was to ask her, I mean, I won't go into the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But basically, that was kind of one of the first indications for me, like, wow, people need to even be taught how to ask the right questions. Well, that's before we sat down, mm-hmm. before I started recording, I said, I need you to have two assumptions that I don't know anything. Yeah. And that if I ask questions, I'm coming from a mm-hmm. place that I want to understand. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's just like nightmare. And <laughs> and I think can and as the question asker yeah can make you want to shut kind of shut down mm-hmm. because you don't want to ask a, a question out of curiosity and for it to become yeah. hurtful yeah. so i think that's a great point that being teachable about what questions to ask or really thinking about what is it that you really want like what you said what was, are you really asking yeah 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 and and i feel like angie this is one of the first things we connected about at that conference back in october was I, for me, I, I do feel this sense of responsibility to teach people. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I'm, you know, giving them the easy way out. I, you know, I think I'll, I'm not, it's not my job to represent all ethnic minorities and teach people how to pursue that. Mm-hmm. But as an ethnic minority, I really do sense a call to say to someone, hey, actually, here's a better way of asking the question. Mm-hmm. Um, because if they don't know, 
I have no reason to blame them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's contextual. <laughs> right. No, depending right. on the yeah. depending mm-hmm. on the conversation. For me, it's it's being willing to relinquish my like, why don't you just know this? Mm-hmm. Um, because that's not it's not productive. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not productive for me or the person asking the question. I think if I'm not willing to correct in that moment, but do I let uh, for me at least? Here's how I do it: is that if I'm not willing to correct in that moment, I need to let it go, mm. and maybe just pray that they figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> but also, it's just I, I I there is responsibility on both ends mm-hmm. um, to teach to correct to ask questions, mm-hmm. and it's so hard because. In different contexts, in different conversations, it will be very different. Mm-hmm. You know, because cultures are cultures because the patterns are different. Right. And so the way that I experience this is going to be different than other ethnic minority groups. Mm-hmm. And so, I know that's not an easy answer. No, no. <laughs> I, yeah. Well, I, I mean, what I'm hearing is is step toward it mm-hmm. and be teachable. Proximity. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Proximity. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's even like asking people who, you, who, who's like character you've seen, who you know, if you know, if you really have this fear of like asking the question wrong, mm-hmm. that's acknowledge that, acknowledge that. that, just say it, right? You know, instead mm-hmm. of assuming that you know how to ask the question, mm-hmm. and you know, I mean, I don't, I don't mean that in like a, a derogatory way. It's more just, it's okay to say, I, I'm like, I'm afraid I'm gonna ask this the wrong way, so I just want to. Like, I just want you to ask for patience. Right. And let me just ask it and hear, try, help me to sift through what I'm really doing. Yeah. Yeah. And to um, really saying, I'm sorry if you are wrong is, is powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and leaving the if and the but out. Yeah. I'm sorry if, I'm sorry, but. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> just, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, is there anything that we haven't touched on yet? that you thought when you were thinking today about oh I want to make sure that yeah. I say these things um, I mean I, I would say as far as like what to know about like the Hmong people like the culture there really is a sense of burden that we carry as far as our history mm. and you know I don't want it to like I don't want to end on this note but we won't yeah There's more. <laughs> yeah but with the uh, the Vietnam War. It wasn't just oh, the Hmong soldiers helped the U.S. fight, and then, and then they came here. If you watch, so there's there's a couple um, resources that I'll give to Angie to put on the show notes, but mm-hmm. there's just a lot of sadness that exists in it because Hmong families were killed, mm-hmm. and I mean, war is war. War is really hard, right? And a lot of Hmong people died for the U.S. And this isn't to victimize us, but it's to paint a very real picture of of how the Hmong people entered into the U.S. Mm-hmm. The reality of it is that Hmong people had to watch U.S. choppers lift off of the tarmac as they realized that the that the U.S. allies would would not win this part. Hmong people had to watch the choppers that were supposed to take them with mm-hmm. lift off and fly away. Mm-hmm. So their sense of security, their sense of peace mm-hmm. and wholeness. Uh, was broken and in some ways there is betrayal mm-hmm. and and so I mean I'm saying this as someone who was born here mm-hmm. and I feel the weight of that I feel the brokenness of it knowing that it's a part of my people's history mm-hmm. all Hmong generations feel the weight of of you know the choppers lifting off mm-hmm. it's just this visual of like 
Aban- oh, it sounds like abandonment. Abandonment. And so for the Hmong people eventually to get here um, after a lot of political things that I won't go into, but eventually the Hmong people came here sponsored by a lot of people, a lot of churches and different organizations um, and eventually entering into this place and being able to experience wholeness. Uh, it was really hard to separate that sense of like, well, you said this and then it didn't happen. Mm. And while, you know, I'm not saying that every person is out there living and identifying all of America that way, mm-hmm. that's just a reality, you know, to, to, to bring yourself into that moment where a, a giant group of Hmong refugees and immigrants come here, land in on U.S. soil, and remember that, oh, but they at first, like, they, they weren't really true to their word. And I obviously understand that there's, like, so many complicated, like, complicated things in war and mm-hmm. policy and whatever. But I think it's just at the heart of it, there's kind of this like, oh, I, I like can't even imagine being someone left on that tarmac. No. And and I think that speaking as someone who grew up in a suburb of, of the Twin Cities, mm-hmm. that that story wasn't told well. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't the the sacrifices that were made that wasn't told well. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the views that were given you know, we're some of the same views that we're hearing today mm-hmm. about refugees and, you know, how is it going to affect us and us yeah. and our economy and, you know, why, why, you know, why has this been given? Why has that been mm-hmm. given without understanding, well, first the humanity, but we're not going to yeah. go there again. Yeah. <laughs> but second of all, this partnership commitment that was made mm-hmm. and like that that matter i mean that does matter that yeah. does matter that that those commitments were made mm-hmm. and not followed through and it, and i didn't grow up understanding that mhm yeah and you know it's like refugees are refugees not by choice right you know it's just like it's amazing to me that my parents were refugees and then immigrants mm-hmm. because for me it's like i all i've ever, ever all i've ever known is america mm-hmm. and i can conceptualize what it felt like for for people to you know swim across the crazy flowing Mekong River into Thailand. Mm-hmm. Some didn't make it because they couldn't swim. Some didn't make it because there were soldiers who were shooting them down. Mm-hmm. But but when I, when I so it's, it's like, it's not that I'm defining us by that, but it's more, it's it sits in our history. Mm-hmm. The history matters. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it, it needs to be told because it's, it, it hasn't historically been told. Mm-hmm. The other sides of the, of the story have been told. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, but but I think that's why it's so that's why I consider Hmong, Hmong people to be so resilient mm-hmm. is because it's like while I'm sitting here telling you that this is the reality, I'm like amazed. Like I mean, my mom, she learned English by hearing her kids talk. Wow. One thing that was hard about kind of being in between these these two cultures was mm-hmm. that there are like I not, I couldn't go to my parents and people my age couldn't go to their parents to learn about things like science or American mm-hmm. history. Mm. You know, so there are so many things that I had to learn. Like homework. Homework. You know, it's like I'm a sixth grader doing like a history project or a science project. And I'm like, I don't understand it. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a very weird thing generationally that there were some points, even as like a kid, Mm -hmm. like, oh, I like know like the periodic table and my parents don't. Mm. And it wasn't their fault. Mm -mm. And that's not to speak any ill against older generations. They are the most resilient ones. Right. Um, they, they didn't need to know the yeah. periodic table, yeah. probably. <laughs> and to, to this day, I'm like, I, in my stage life and what God is calling me towards, I don't know why I need to know the periodic table. But, <laughs> but there it is. But there it is. <laughs> but I, I think it's just, 
yeah, the resilience of my people. Mm-hmm. Resilience and even just like joy and hope. And like when we when we feel someone like when the when one person in the family has a burden, everyone carries it. Mm-hmm. When one person has success, everyone carries it. Mm-hmm. It's an honor shame culture, which essentially means so it's it's oh that's kind of a big thing too to know is that the Hmong culture and, and many Asian cultures are honor shame. Um, America is a guilt innocence culture. Interesting. And so what that means, so honor shame is is that everything is very communal. So like I said, um, you bring honor on the family or you bring shame yep, on the um, family. You know, it's like with that, that song in Mulan, mm-hmm. you'll bring honor to us. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you'll bring honor to us all. Like that's the mm-hmm. idea. So it's it's more about like, like honor shame is what you, like you're defined by what you, what you do. Like okay. what you, what you do defines who you are mm-hmm. and it reflects on the whole family, reflects on a lot of people. Guilt innocence is that the thing itself was wrong, but you are like, it's a judicial picture. Like okay. you did something wrong, but you are not like you yourself are not wrong. And I think I used to understand these two concepts as like one was right, one was wrong. Okay. Uh, but one of the beautiful things about honor shame culture is that it paints a, a new picture for me of what it means to carry each other's burdens. Mm. to rejoice when someone rejoices, to mourn when someone mourns. Mm-hmm. And in so many ways, it's like easy for me to mourn with others who mourn. When you grow up in that kind of culture, you empathize. Mm-hmm. And it's no, it's not that I'm like taking everybody at their word, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's just ingrained in me to, and ingrained in a lot of the Hmong people to carry one another's burdens. It's not just like immediate family. This mm-hmm. is like extended family and then their extended families, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um you know, within the Hmong culture, there's only, there's 18 last names, only 18 last names. And those are known as clans, Hmong clans. Oh, okay. So like Vang, I'm, I'm part of the Vang clan. Okay. Vang is like Smith. I, like, that's, I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah. Because I've heard Vang a lot. Yeah. 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 It's one of the bigger ones. So within like the Vang culture, in some ways, it's kind of like, like you don't intermarry mm-hmm. in a clan, no matter how unrelated you are, mm-hmm. because it's seen as one giant Family. family okay even if i've never met someone it's like i wouldn't even consider marrying them because they have the same last name as me mm-hmm. um and that's a completely different conversation yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so that's kind of the, the the picture of family that's the picture of community in the Hmong people mm-hmm. is that we, re- we represent one another which is uh, you know if i'm gonna be totally candid and honest like to be on a podcast knowing that it's gonna be public <laughs> talking about <laughs> representing Hmong people Culture. and it's like all Hmong <laughs> people and that's part of the reason why I prefaced with like please do not take my experience like like my experience is my experience mm-hmm. I'm not asking you to, to say whether or not it's true it's true right. yeah so in the same way it's like I do represent my people mm-hmm. and so the kind of some of the anxiety and fear that I had in having this conversation initially was like okay should I ask like every Hmong person that I know what I should say <laughs> You know, like I did ask my siblings, like that matters to me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because their experience, you know, is similar to my experience. And but it's it's also just like I can also just know that my experience is real mm-hmm. and matters and matters. And that's I mean, that was the reason why I wanted to have you on here, because because there is such a huge Hmong population in the Twin Cities. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I think that I'm not alone in not not knowing a lot mm-hmm. about Hmong culture, yeah. not knowing a lot of people who are Hmong, not entering into that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Minnesotan thing about, 
you know, Minnesota nice will be really nice, but yeah. don't ask to come to my house because uh-huh. that's a whole nother, <laughs> yeah. that's too close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not that nice. Yeah. I think one practical thing I could offer to, to you or to anyone listening mm-hmm. is if you're local to Twin Cities, go to Monk Village. It's on, on Johnson Parkway in St. Paul. Okay. There, it's like a, it's like a, a market, so there's a lot of food, and there's it's kind of like a flea market. Okay. Um, and there's part of it. There's fresh produce, mm-hmm. and you kind of get a feel for like what, um, what is normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I can walk into Mung Village and feel like so normal, but to other people who aren't used to it, it feels like complete chaos. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a picture of like okay, he- even like hearing music, seeing food, how mm-hmm. it's, seeing how Hmong food is different than like Chinese food or. Mm-hmm. Korean food or whatever it and is. All Asian food is not the same. All Asian food is not the same. Mm-mm. Italian food is not the same as French food. Right. <laughs> or Sicilian. Yeah. <laughs> right. Even that. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I think that's a good practical thing to, uh, a place to start. Also, I mean, for you to ask someone, like like this conversation right here, mm-hmm. like that is one of the greatest blessings for me. And so if you're listening, wondering like, what do I do? Who do I talk to? You can talk to me. Like mm-hmm. you can... I give you permission to ask Angie for my info <laughs> if you really want to learn. But, and we'll have all those resources too yes, on the show notes. Yeah, yeah. You know, let yourself be a learner. Mm-hmm. Um, go back to, you know, freshman year of college and, and remember what it felt like. I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. College is scary. But I'll put one foot in front of the other. But I'm going to do it, mm-hmm. you know. And people have paid the, paved the way. You are mm-hmm. not alone in, in feeling like, I don't know anything about this. And it's okay to voice that. If you're really going to enter in, be teachable, mm-hmm. not just to like retain information. Right. Yeah. So it's called, this is called the Retreat House Podcast. Mm-hmm. And so there are two questions I ask all my guests. Yes. The first one is, how do you retreat? Is it a place? Is it a practice? What does mm-hmm. it look like? Not the kind of retreating you talked about earlier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> retreating from the world. Yeah. Yeah. But to retreat to fill up. Yeah. So for me, um, there are certain hobbies that I have. So I love... Mm-hmm. I'll pick up my camera, my DSLR, put earbuds in, listen to worship music, and go somewhere new mm. um, and take pictures of nature. Mm. It is very mm-hmm. life-giving and spiritual. I experience God through that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, like, thinking so hard, but I'm being really, really reflective. Um, so that's one thing. Um, another thing, I love coffee shops. Mm-hmm. I, like, it's so weird. As a seminary student, I cannot study in the library or in my house. I have to be in a coffee shop, shop. so i love noise is it the noise you yeah like it's the like noise, the white noise ambient. and i'm mm-hmm. too extroverted so i say i have to go there go to coffee shops to be alone with other people mm-hmm. so i love like sitting in coffee shops for any reason mm-hmm. <laughs> um and then i do actually really love to like there's this place called pacham and terrace mm-hmm. it's about like a, maybe like 30 minutes north of here um and you stay in this little cabin thing which is called a hermitage mm-hmm. and you're called a hermit while you're there <laughs> and um you unplug there's no electricity everything's by candlelight and there's a heater in the little cabin and they give you a basket of fruit and fresh bread and cheese and you just sit there and you just like sit in the middle of the woods in this cabin so that's kind of when i actually really need to like think and process and listen that's mm-hmm. what i do and then my other question that I ask, because we celebrate weird in my family. Love it. I, yes, I love celebrating weird. <laughs> so if you were to use the hashtag celebrate weird to describe something about you, what mm-hmm. would that be? It would be that I am obsessed with Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. and the Great British Baking Show. Really? What? Did, any connection between the no two? No connection between the two. <laughs> yeah. I just love both. <laughs> Lord of the Rings is very like... When people ask, I was a film major in, oh, I in didn't college. Know that. Yeah. 
And so people often don't expect me to say Lord of the Rings. They expect me to say some like random movie that no one's ever heard mm-hmm, of. Mm-hmm. Like, no, it's Lord of the Rings. <laughs> One, because it's just like a great movie. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot, but there's also a lot of like spiritual undertones. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Great British Baking Show, because I love like food and I love cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a baker. So I kind of live vicariously through this show. And they're all so nice to each other. They are really nice to each it's other. It's so therapeutic. Yes. And they cook really hard stuff. And they're just supposed to be normal, regular people, like not professionals. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they're cooking amazing huge creations yeah and almost i mean every episode too it's like this is this is another reason why i'm like wow there's so much that i don't know is that i have to google some of the things that they say mm-hmm. like what is what is this oh how do you even i can't even think of something but there's like it just seems like well even the way they measure yeah the way they measure yeah it's all by weight it's not by like a cup yeah yeah but mm-hmm. i love the great british baking show it's very therapeutic for me to have in the background. If I need to just, like, come down from, like, stress or something, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just put it on <laughs> and watch it. And it's just, like, honestly, it's uh, the one thing that I remember is, like, someone done early. She's like, oh, I'm done early. I'll just come help you. I'm like, that is not like American no, TV. No. It's so different. Oh, I've got extra time. I think I'll sabotage my neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's like, no, let me put, let me help you plate this. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, I wish all people were like this in life. You know? Seriously. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jenny. Yeah. This has been a privilege to have you on and to have this conversation. And I hope when people hear it that it encourages them and challenges them and maybe pokes them a little bit and yeah. pushes them out of their comfort zone mm-hmm. and into some good conversations, good growing, like good in the greater sense of the word, good yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, conversation. So I, I just think you're brave and I think your voice matters. Thank you. And yes, it's been a privilege to have you here. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for the opportunity. This has been great. Thank you for listening to the Retreat House podcast. Any links mentioned in the show can be found in the show notes. We want to thank Isaac Turley for his music at the beginning and end of the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and we'll see you next week on the Retreat House podcast. Thank you.